Hi, missionaries, and welcome to Mission Moments, where we take a moment to prepare for our mission. The Mission Moments podcast is sponsored by Mission Youth, a community of missionary disciples who come together to equip ourselves to go out and spread Christ's love in the world as apostles of the new evangelization. Every Catholic is called to be a missionary, and we are here to help everyday Catholics like yourself learn to be one. We're going to share missionary experiences, form skills, give tips, and great mission stories. Hello, missionaries, and welcome back to Mission Moments. This is season four of our podcast. And in this season, which we'll be journeying through Advent and Christmas, we are going to continue talking about some essential aspects to our mission experience. Some of them are virtues and characteristics that root us in our Catholic faith and our missionary identity. And others are just some overarching principles that we follow to make sure that our missions are set up for success. We're so happy that you can join us for this fourth season, and we're looking forward to sharing so many more mission stories and great guests with you. Let's dive in. Father Michael, it's so nice to see you in this Zoom call and that you can take the time to be with us on this podcast. Yeah, good to be here. So for those that don't know you, even though you are a very important person when it comes to speaking about missions, I would love for you to share a little bit more about yourself because you are a legionary of Christ priest that's almost been ordained for 10 years, almost. And you're currently stationed in Philadelphia and you're from Kansas. But what else can we? would you like to share about yourself with us? Well, I would like to share that I kind of discovered uh, Christ as a person and met him personally through a mission with, um, it was then called Youth for the Third Millennium. How did that happen? Oh my goodness. I did not want to be there at first. Uh, I was 16 years old and my sister, who had gone on some missions in South Bend, studying at Notre Dame, um, she came back from school, and it must have been May, early May or something of 97, and uh, she said, Michael, you got to come with me. We're going to go on a mission to St. Louis, Missouri, and that's where, you know, we're going to go door to door and invite people to church and to adoration to pray the rosary and i was hearing her describe this and i was like yeah right that's for jehovah's witnesses i'm not going to do that and i'm going to stay here with my friends and we're going to watch the movies i think the matrix had just come out so my mom overheard the conversation and she said oh yeah no, you're going to go to the mission and, and drive and make sure that car doesn't break down. Because we had this this used car that was a little uh, sketch sometimes as far as reliability goes. And there went my weekend with my friends. It actually ended up being like a six-day um, endeavor. And it was the youth and family encounter for Regnum Christi and the Legionaries of Christ. So I didn't really know what I was getting into. I just, I took my headphones and my Smashing Pumpkins album and I was going to let the whole thing blow over. And when I got to the mission, they said, oh, you can't stay here. And I was like, what? We just drove five hours. Now you got to go to the guy's mission. So turns out uh, there's another parish, you know, I, I must have been a half an hour or so from there where they were hosting the, the guy's mission. And so we got there and Father Edward Hopkins was getting ready to start mass with all the, probably about 25 guys, you know, my age or a little older. And uh, yeah, he, he, he shouted into the microphone at mass. I think he blew the speakers of the uh, parish sound system but uh, with the top of his lungs, he said, if you want to do anything for Christ, you have to come out of your comfort zone. So, you know, we were all like 
what is going on? Who is this guy? And is he nuts? And yeah, I mean, crazy for Christ, for sure. But um, he made us all think. And it was, it hit me right between the eyes. You know, I'm just going to, I was going to stay in my comfort zone. And he was saying, you know, Christ is inviting you out to participate. So uh, we went out around the neighborhoods of the parish and we each had a, a printout that the pastor of the parish had printed out a map of the parish boundaries and the streets and the, the city blocks and everything. And each team of three guys had a handout where the map was highlighted for team one, team two, team whatever. So there we were going along uh, our our highlighted section of the map. And I remember the first person that opened the door, you know, a lot of the doors nobody opened. But the first one that opened was this Buddhist girl who was like in her PJs and she said, uh, oh yeah, I'm not Catholic. And we're like, oh, okay, sorry to bother you. And then a few houses later, there was this woman kind of older. Um, she wouldn't open the door really. She had that, you know, little lock with the chain after un unpadlocking the, the other, the, you know, the, the deadbolts and um, pretty cautious, like who are these guys? So we introduced ourselves as Catholic missionaries and we are coming on behalf of St. Robert Bellarmine Parish to uh, you know, invite you to Holy Hour tonight and so on. We had a, a bulletin that the parish priest wanted us to hand out. And you know, it occurred to me that we had a bunch of duds before that, but it occurred to me like, you know, we gotta engage this, these people a little more because everyone we were meeting was, um, you know, didn't really have faith as a priority. But this woman said she was Catholic, at least. And so as we were getting ready to go, uh, saying goodbye, I don't know what came over me, but I said, and do you have anything we can pray for, for you? And the guys looked at me in, in horror, like, what are you doing? Like, we don't know how to pray. And I've, I've realized the mistake I had made at that point, but it was too late. So she said, oh, well, yeah, could you pray for my husband? He's still in the hospital with cancer and he's dying and I don't know what I'm gonna do. And um, there was this, you know, tremble in her voice. And so one of the other guys was moved and he, we, we turned around, we came back to the door and he said, oh, what what's his name, man? Can, can we pray for him tonight in our holy hour? And um, she she shared the name, but at that point she had already unlocked the uh, chain, right, and opened the the door. There was still a storm door with a screen and a window, so she was speaking through that. And um, we took down the name, wrote that down on a, a piece of paper, and then uh, with the other guy there, um, Circle is his name. Uh, he's for, actually from that area of St. Louis. He said, well, would you like to say a prayer right now? And then, I mean, I think I about passed out. Like, what, we can't. You, you're talking about, like, that Protestant spontaneous prayer thing? No way. Jose. And this woman opened the door and stepped out onto the porch with us at that point and bowed her head. And we all looked at each other like, well, now what? And I just said, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, our Father who art in heaven. And all the guys were like, you could see this relief, you know, it's like somebody lifted a burden from our shoulders. Oh, yeah, I know that prayer. So we prayed, and our Father, a Hail Mary, and a Glory Be. And the woman was sobbing by the end of those three prayers. And so grateful, she looked at us, and we didn't we didn't know what we did by that time. And she said, "No one's ever come to pray with me before." And 
I, so she thanked us profusely and gave us a hug and went back inside and we walked off in silence trying to figure out what just occurred. And then at the next door, we did the same thing. And it took us a lot longer to do our part of the map than um, really the other teams because we started doing that instead. It, it was more conversation and engaging and really just personal, right? You People would share very personal things like family, you know, or whatever. So uh, Father Edward Hopkins ended up finding us and he's actually driving my car. And um, he, he said, hey guys, get in. We gotta go back to the parish because uh, the all the parishioners, they fixed dinner at the, the hall and it's spaghetti and meatballs. And so the other guys were like, oh, okay. And they went over, jumped in the car. And I went over to the driver's window. I said, Father, roll down the window. We can't go back for dinner. Like We have this the rest of the map to finish. And he looked at me and said, no, actually, we can do that later. But right now, there's people, you know, that have prepared this for us, and we should be, um, you know, polite and receive that. So I kind of like, whatever, got in the passenger seat. I'm like, why, why am I sitting in the passenger seat of my car? And he was like, hey, this car is kind of fun to drive. It was, uh, was kind of souped up. We had... My dad and I had an um, engine swapped and the suspension was set up for, you know, street racing. And it was pretty loud, too. It had an open exhaust on it, whatever. So um, we got back to the parish. The guys jumped out of the back seats and went inside. And Father and I were walking. And uh, he stopped in the parking lot and said, hey, have you ever thought about the priesthood? I said, Father, look, I'm going to be uh, a musician. I'm, I'm going to have my own rock and roll band. We're going to write, you know, write albums, cut CDs, and travel the world. So, no. The priesthood, you can go jump in a lake. He was like, okay, whatever. Just thought I'd throw it out there. But what about Regnum Christi? I was like, I don't know what that is. He said, okay, I'll tell you more about it later. And he didn't, but yeah, but that's for an, another story. Oh, that's um, an incredible first mission story, Father Michael. Yeah. Did you go on any other missions after that? I went on several. So throughout high school, um, Father Daniel Polzer, Legionary of Christ, and Father Shane Lambert were in my neck of the woods, um, Nebraska, Kansas. And so they would often invite me to uh, get my mom's Suburban and all my friends from school and load them up. We fit 19 people in there once and drive to Lincoln, Nebraska or South Bend, Indiana or anywhere like that they had something going on, whether it was a Ignatian retreat or a mission trip and uh, yeah, that that was kind of my apostolate mm -hmm. of sorts. Um, not very organized. There was no Regnum Christi, you no know, team that I was a part of in those years. But uh, yeah. But they left a huge impact on your life, evidently. Yeah, I mean, it it showed me that I had taken my faith for granted. Mm -hmm showed me that there were a lot of people out there that had nothing faith-wise even on their radar screen. They were living for now, for this life, not considering eternal life, really, and not um, not focusing on any like moral standards, really. It was just kind of a free-for-all. And I had been raised Catholic, uh, I, I knew my you know, catechism and was practicing my faith, but 
I, I didn't think I, I don't think I really knew why until I went on a mission. And I think it was the first time I'd had to like live my faith personally before other people, including like the other guys on that trip, like peers, not just the strangers that we met. Um, I had to actually be Catholic for in an exemplary way to some extent. And so the, the faith wasn't being given to me by my parents or given me by my teachers at my Catholic school or by my parish priest or something. It was me actually having to give the faith. Mm-hmm. And so I took ownership of it. And I saw a lot of other people who didn't have that that experience, some other friends of mine, who really never owned it. It was always something imposed from the outside that didn't belong to them. It belonged to someone else, and they were they had just been given it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's very clear that because of missions, and when you met it in the moment of your life, it had a huge impact on your faith life and then on your future vocation, right? And now you love missions so much as a priest. And mm-hmm. as you know, in this podcast, we have been going through some of the essential elements that make our mission style unique and effective. And so the topic that we really wanted to deepen in today was this essential element of living unity and charity on all of our mission experiences. And I know that that is a topic that you personally are very passionate about because of your mission experience. And I know that a lot of our listeners have asked about this because many times as mission leaders, they can be worry a lot about the logistics, which are important, right? And they can be bogged down by like remembering all the baby steps they have to do and the permission forms and the waivers and the registration and the contracts. And those things are so important, right? But sometimes I've noticed that the mission directors can worry a lot about those details. And then sometimes they can forget some of the other elements that make our mission life so special, right? So that's why I think it's so important to underline and to deepen to what this spirit of unity and charity is. Because personally, when I think of unity and charity on our missions, the first image that comes to mind is the way that the early church must have lived that unity and charity in their mission experience that they didn't always know what they were doing and they didn't always get along or agree, but there was a deeper unity of mind and heart that was bonding them together. Right. So I would mm-hmm. love to know for you, how do you define or how do you articulate the spirit of unity and charity on our missions? Yeah. Well, you know, it's kind of like a wedding. When you talk to uh, a couple, an engaged couple who's, you know, getting ready for their wedding. There's a lot of practical logistics to take care of. And, you know, are, who, how many fillets and how many salmon um, dishes do we need for the reception, right? That's, mm-hmm. but we also know that after the wedding, uh, the most important thing is not the pictures or mm-hmm. the ceremony even it's that they they love one another right and that that's for mm-hmm. so something similar can happen you know with all kinds of events when we plan events mm-hmm. event planning is it should be taken seriously and missions isn't that different in the sense of you know there can be a lot of people involved as as an event so, you know, I love structure. I love having things planned. And I've I've learned that that's very important, but there's really not that many things that have to be planned for the mission experience to be good. So, you know, your safe environment standards, because you usually have minors involved in a mission, mission youth, at least. Um, your safe transportation your um your schedule for the day you know do people know how to get but other than that i mean there's not like a lot of other things you know your insurance waivers things like that are important because we need to protect 
this apostolate and we need to abide by the standards that the church uh, asks of us. But there, once you have some of those basics in place, uh, really the, the most essential thing, and I would almost venture to say that th those other things will fall in place, the logistics, mm -hmm. um, because of we, we want to preserve this unity and charity. What is unity and charity? Well, God is three persons in one. He is a unity. And one thing that is very opposite of God is separation and division. And it's very easy amongst the youth, whether they're middle school, high school, young adults, you know, who are young professionals, college age, is that, uh, you know, we're, we're very social and we can easily um, separate and divide into cliques, people that we like to spend time with, friends. Um, and you, you will make really deep friendships on missions because they tend to be friendships that are rooted and grounded in Christ. And so we love to be together as missionaries often because we bonded through adoration together or meeting somebody on the street together who just shared something really powerful and impactful. So um, that unity in friendships, it's, it has a little bit of a catch 22 to it in the mission where we also tend to have often new people joining us on our missions people that have never come people like myself who had my headphones ready to just you know isolate and not unite with the group and we have to be like very proactive in order to, to welcome in new people when they arrive uh, show them that they that we want them to feel included and be included that we also like want to get to know them and so we may actually at times have to forgo even um, those group hugs with our best buddies that we also see at the mission in order to not make somebody else feel like oh i'm not i don't belong here i'm not a part of that friend group right and i've seen it happen before where some people would just be like oh and then leave because they're like, yeah, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Mm -hmm. And so there's that unity. But then the charity is like going out of myself, you know, extending that welcoming smile that, um, hey, where are you from? What's your name? Mm -hmm. Now, that, that kind of facilitates all that unity, right? Um, even if it's somebody that I don't particularly like, or maybe they're from a different school and I hate that school because they like beat my team in the championship. Who cares, right? We're in a different situation right now. We're, we're together in Christ. And so the flip side of this whole unity and charity is that the mission isn't only to strangers that we meet out amongst the, the people being missioned to. The mission is also to our own missionaries. Mm -hmm. And think about this. If I were to go out to do a mission to the homeless in the streets, and I am with my team, you know, maybe three or four other people, and I, I meet this fella and say, hey, what's your name? I'm Father Michael. And one of my fellow missionaries is like, hey, Father, I think I think it's time. We're, we're supposed to be back at the parking lot now. For And I just say, like, shut up. You know, I'm trying to have a, a conversation here and, and meet this person. You know, we, we can, it doesn't matter. And I kind of snap, you know, at that person. And they kind of back up. And then I go back to, hey, how are you? Oh, your name's Joe. My, I'm Father Michael. Uh, do you need a sandwich? Do you need a, a, I have a water bottle if you some socks here and then like one of the other team members says no father like they're waiting for us like be quiet i'm 
leave me alone. Get out of here. You can imagine what that guy would would recognize is kind of some hypocrisy <laughs> that we may at times be more able to be friendly and charitable with the stranger than towards our own missionaries like that I'm side by side with. Now, the flip side is not true, though. The, the contrary is not true. If I am charitable with my team members and living that unity intentionally with them, then I may not even have to say much mm-hmm. to be charitable to the the, pers- the stranger that I meet because mm-hmm. they will know we are Christians by our love. And And people have said that before, like, you guys, there's something different about you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not even, we may be just sitting on a step having a sandwich for our lunch break on the mission. And they, they pick up on that unity and charity in the group. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it makes a lot of sense. And I think I can remember certain missions that I've experienced, especially in the past two years with kids that come together from different cities and different places and they don't know each other and when there's an environment of safety and trust and acceptance and welcome and unity and charity among the missionary group they not only have so much joy that kind of overflows from that group but the impact that those missionaries are able to have is much deeper than we could have planned or foreseen because the testimony that they give of the joy of their faith it touches so many more hearts than doors than we can knock on. So it's true. The I think the missionary witness by living that unity and charity is almost like the most important element of the mission. Yeah. And there's there's missionaries who have said, you know, after their first mission, that they they feel that they belong in that group. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. There's not that many places that a young person can find that atmosphere in in our culture today, right? Mm-hmm. You don't find it in the locker room at high school or in the you know the theater club at college or something. It's uh, it can be quite the contrary. There can be a lot of gossip, mm-hmm. a lot of um, you know backbiting. That's present and so especially with social media the the way that has in a way exaggerated that whole dynamic of Mm -hmm. of seeking affirmation and uh, a sense of belonging in in a superficial way right we we don't put like our worst picture on instagram or you know like a morning shot on facebook um it's it's like the best picture we have to put out there and so we we all know that that's like not totally accurate whereas in the mission that these young people they say like yeah i feel like i can just be myself mm-hmm. that i'm accepted that i'm i belong here no matter i don't have to be something else mm-hmm. and that's that's really important because that spiritual family that we're trying to form is really what the first Christians were and, and really the 12 apostles, not that they were all related as family, but they were a community. Mm-hmm. And in the movement of Regnum Christi, we have this charism that is so precious. It's a treasure. Every charism has three three aspects to it communion mission and spirituality our spirituality is very christ-centered i mean it's lots of things but in its in its real core christ-centered and our mission is to form apostles our communion is very unique we have four different vocations of um, lay consecrated Man, consecrated women, and and these priests, the legionaries, that communion it becomes a community at times, especially when we're on mission. It can be very unique. So, to form a community of apostles centered on Christ, it it kind of rounds out the 
the expression of the charism in a way uh, that I, I think is rarely seen in other instances. Maybe on a retreat, you know, like a Ignatian retreat that we do where all of the vocations are present and we're living that. But it's not quite as, you would say, evangelizing in the sense of like being bold and going out to, to share the faith. Yeah. A little different. So, yeah. And I think you, the story that you shared of how you first encountered missions and the vulnerability that that takes and the risk taking and that it can be kind of scary to go out and share your faith for the first time, especially for a young person. And so I find that that common experience that the young people have of taking that risk and encouraging each other and laughing at each other in a good way or just being vulnerable with each other is something that creates that unity and charity as well. It's kind of like this necessary element of when they work hard and share a mission with Christ at the center and they're able to be like vulnerable and take those risks with each other, then it creates deeper bonds than just that they like the same sport team or they go to the same school, right? Yeah. So the, the friendship is a lot deeper in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it it doesn't take much to, to create that atmosphere. Uh, one time I had uh, a mission plan. I, I spent quite a while putting it together with Amelia Hoover and Helen Yalber. They were bringing uh, uh, quite a large group from DC up to Philadelphia. And then there were several from Philadelphia and also in New York that were coming down with Father Stephen Howe. So we had this venue set up in North Philly at St. Joan of Arc Parish. Uh, an empty convent building that had all the rooms and everything. It was our favorite place to stay for missions because it had a, a chapel that was very beautiful and we all fit in there for adoration. And So everyone was really excited. And there, we had, I think, like 30 or 40 people signed up for this mission. And the the morning of, you know, everyone's, on the turnpike driving on the morning of the uh, the sister in charge of this facility called me and said father i'm sorry but you guys you guys can't stay here and i, I said well sister you know what it's okay what, what's what's the problem All right do you need us to like um you know bring bring some food get some groceries or anything she said, no, it, it's just that the last group, they just left now and the beds aren't made and we just, I'm, I'm tired. And I said, well, sister, don't worry. Like we got a lot of hands. We can, makes light work. We can take care of the the facilities. No, no problem. Don't worry about it. We, we can help you out. She said, no, father, I'm just, it, it's really not going to work out. And she kind of wouldn't um, budge. And she said, yeah, I'm sorry, but, you know, next time. And there I was like, wait a minute. So what are we going to do? We, we, I don't have anywhere for all these people to stay. But should I just send them home? And that probably wasn't going to be good because, you know, everybody had paid and registered and we had bought, you know, all the supplies. And so um, I started calling all these different parishes. I think I called about 25 places in the course of the next hour. And I, I finally was able to get in touch with a pastor who said, well, we have an old abandoned school building here that hasn't been occupied for a few years. You're welcome to use that. I don't know what it what it's like inside. I've never really been in there. I just became the pastor a few weeks ago. And I was like, we'll take it. <laughs> so I... I texted everyone. I said, hey, change of plans. We're going to this address instead. So they all got there and I, I got the key. And I mean, the place was completely a mess. I mean, it, it looked like Chernobyl inside, like, like the apocalypse had just happened. There was desks everywhere and chairs tipped over and 
the kitchen was full of cobwebs. So they everyone's kind of laughing, like, okay, I guess this is where we're staying. And I was like, yeah, sorry, guys. The other place didn't pan out. And, you know, that night, the girls were in one of the classrooms on the like top floor of the school, and the boys were down, like, in the cafeteria. And there were mice and roaches scurrying around their sleeping bags at night. And it was the summer, so, you know, no air conditioning is about 99 degrees inside the the facility and uh yeah by the morning i came out from the rectory the next morning for uh, to round everybody up for morning prayers and they were sleeping on out in the parking lot just because it was so hot inside and i was like good lord we gotta move and so I just, I called this friend. I said, Denise, we're coming to your house. I know you have a big, huge basement and I got a bunch of missionaries and it, this lady had a, a mansion, right? And I, I said, I, I'm not going to take no for an answer. And she's like, oh, okay, fine. But she called back about 10 minutes later and said, hold on. My husband, he's a real estate a developer he has an empty house you guys can just use that so it turns out this place was great and didn't have any furniture in it but why am i telling this story because you know basically nothing went as planned that week and at the end of the week the the, all, the whole group guys and girls and consecrated too were saying this is the best mission I've ever been on. So, of course, I'm thinking, you know, why do I even try? Like, what's the point if God just, you know, turns the whole thing upside down? And so it was a little frustrating for me, but it taught me that if if we do focus on the essential spirit of unity and charity, um, those kids made, like, friends for life. They still keep in touch. They still talk about that week. Um, and, you know, we we were able to get all the the essential safety elements taken care of, too, with chaperones and the, the right drivers to for the, the safe transportation and all. Sometimes we take the train as well. But it wasn't how I figured it would go. And the that that's the key. Like, it, it taught me. That's what's important. Mm -hmm. Everything else is kind of secondary. We can get very caught up in like, we have to be effective. We have to, you know, uh, evangelize the city and we have to make headway and save souls. And it's kind of like, well, actually, no, God will take care of that. He can save the world without us. He doesn't, of course, he wants us to be his instruments, but we're not absolutely essential we're not indispensable for him to to carry out his plan of salvation either mm -hmm. it's it's that he he calls us and wants us involved and we have to just accept the way he wants us involved really mm -hmm. so father michael i'm sure after some of these stories the listeners are thinking like this is beautiful i want a mission with unity and charity on it what's hmm. the recipe how how do we like make sure it happens? What do we have to do to inject our missions with unity and charity? Well, the first is the whoever is leading or whichever group of leaders, they have to exemplify it. They have to model it. And they have to be heat-seeking missiles to the newcomers. Whoever it is like a first timer, a newbie, um, should should be given that not I'm not going to say special treatment, but really it's the special sauce. It's it's the special sauce of our charism of forming that communion that intentionally. And I'm not going to say like no other charism has that that intentionality, but there's there's something about our um it's it's a gift when it happens it's very apparent i think another uh part of it is 
trusting one another and entrusting one another with responsibilities. So one thing that makes uh, missionaries feel empowered and involved is when we actually give them jobs and responsibilities and roles. You know, maybe it's a, a team leader, or maybe it's to cook the pizzas for dinner, or maybe it's to lead the prayers or to um, give a talk in the Eucharistic hour. Maybe it's uh, to clean up even, right? That you, you don't have to have a special gift or a talent really to do a lot of these things. And what can paralyze a missionary is when as leaders of the mission, we take care of everything ourselves and we helicopter the missionaries and hover and make sure that everything's done perfectly. Uh, so, you know, if, if the pizzas get burned, really, it's not the end of the world. Mm -hmm. Or if they're a little undercooked, doesn't matter. Just put them back in. If, if we want the missionaries to actually take ownership of their mission and feel like it's theirs and that it belongs to them and that they belong in it with those other people that they belong with, there's a certain element of what I call uh, messiness that has to happen where um, there's not this standard of perfection that... Um, puts undue pressure on people either, right? So they feel at home to a certain extent. I don't know if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, no, I think it does. And I think, another, no, go, ahead. go ahead. Another part of the unity and charity is precisely what I started with, that the safety. And why do I say that? Because imagine if you put like, I don't know, a bunch of school kids, like grade school kids, for example, and at recess at school, and the playground is on the side of a cliff where like two sides of the playground just go straight down into the ocean, you know, a thousand feet or whatever, like, you know, these cliffs you see in Ireland or something. And you turn all the kids loose. Now, what's going to happen? The kids are going to be like, oh, my gosh, don't go over there because, like, you could fall off and die. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the teachers and the principal are like, oh, my gosh, you know, we got to watch the kids carefully so they don't get hurt. And if they chase, like, a Frisbee or a, a ball or something and go off into them. So if you build a fence there around the playground, but, you know, a tall fence that's high. Actually, the kids will play and they'll, they'll enjoy being there. They'll have a lot of fun. They can just go bonkers and have a blast. And the teachers and the principal can kind of sit back and, you know, watch, make sure nobody bonks their head, but that they don't have to worry about some catastrophic accident, right? So unity and charity is fostered as well when we have a certain safety net that we know is secure and where we know we can let the young people really evangelize and be missionaries and pray together have fun together mm -hmm. um, in a sense like go crazy for christ together and where we know we're like nothing catastrophic is going to happen because we have our chaperones, we have, you know, whatever is necessary to, to make that atmosphere, uh, an atmosphere of freedom of, um, yeah, I think, I think freedom is huge. Mm -hmm. Freedom is a big element. It, you, you can't be free if you don't have limits. It, our, it's kind of counterintuitive because our culture today says, you know, freedom is not having limits. Freedom is where you can do whatever you want. Well, no, freedom is doing what's right. Mm -hmm. And if if you have that moral compass, you're the most free of all people, right? Mm -hmm. Anyway. No, I think, 
yeah, important. No, it is. It's so, so, so important. And I think you've already brought up a few of them, but I think something that helps to safeguard unity and charity is also knowing some of the things that can creep in that can kind of kill it before it even starts, right? Oh, yeah. You and so you kind of mentioned like not to do. <laughs> a spirit of over-perfectionism or not taking care of safety or trying to helicopter and micromanage everything. Are there a few other things that kind of kill it before it even gets started to watch out for? Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, it only takes one person, actually, to kill it. One person that's gossiping or, um, you know, sowing division in the group, mm -hmm. saying things that are hurtful, um, singling someone out. Uh, you know, it, it may not affect the entire group immediately. It'll usually hurt that one person first. Mm -hmm. But then when the somebody else finds that that person was hurt by so-and-so, then um, it has a ripple effect. Mm -hmm. And there is a mission where that happened, and it was miserable. It was about six days of you know just nobody wanted that mm -hmm. unfortunately most of those i think all of those missionaries had several missions where that had not occurred mm -hmm. and they knew the difference mm -hmm. and they brought it up in the days following well actually during the mission itself but in the days after like father how how can we never do this again this way so you know it it ended up being a blessing in disguise where sometimes you don't know what you've got till it's gone mm -hmm. and we can take it for granted again, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but um, that was a wake up call that uh, we do. It is something delicate and I'm not going to say that you can even completely control it. Mm -hmm. You can foster it you can facilitate it. You can put the, the pieces in place to enable it to happen. But I think uh, it's also God's grace. Mm -hmm. Yep. So and I think that's so true. It. Yes. Ultimately, it is, it is a gift and a grace from God that we need to pray for and to be open to receive. So that is amazing, Father Michael. Thank you so much for your stories, for your wisdom, for your experience that you so generously share. And so before we finish up, is there any advice that you would give to these mission leaders that are listening to this podcast, especially as they're probably preparing Holy Week missions in their cities to take place in a few months? What would you want yeah, to do? I, I would say uh, dream big. Go big or go home. <laughs> yes. Uh, don't, uh, don't limit what the Holy Spirit may want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, don't burn yourself out either. But um, yeah, Holy Week, I think, is a particularly intense time to live unity and charity. The, the liturgy lends itself so much to that mm -hmm. because we see Christ washing the feet of his apostles. We see him laying down his life for the sheep. Mm -hmm. We see a lot of the things that inspire us to be generous to one another and and build that spirit of unity and charity. Right? Mm -hmm. um, but I would say, too, if you're getting ready for Holy Week, already start to identify those team leaders, those um, roles and responsibilities that you can... Um, delegate out and and really empower to uh, own mm -hmm. right that that spirit of ownership in the mission mm -hmm. awesome awesome well then to finish off this incredible podcast would you like to close us out in a short prayer for all of the missionaries sure in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit mm -hmm. lord we thank you for our mission we thank you for leading us. 
in forming more apostles to build up your kingdom. And as uh, we prepare to continue to extend your kingdom and throughout the world, be with us. Teach us how to live this this charity that you so exemplified by by giving of yourself. Teach us how to love one another as you loved us. Teach us, you know, how to be as generous as you were and as you, you are. Teach us with your sacred heart to never be indifferent towards one another, but to, to love with a burning love like your sacred heart. And send your blessed mother to guide us, the queen of apostles who who was there in that upper room in the, in the community of apostles, that first community, and gathered them, revealed the love of your heart to them, and, and then was sent out with them. So, Hail Mary, full of grace, mm -hmm. the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. All right. God bless. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Mission Moments. We hope that you have been enriched by these mission stories and encouraged to go out and be a missionary in your daily life. If this podcast has inspired you in some way, please share it with a friend. You can also head over to the missionyouth.com website to see more mission testimonies, register for an upcoming mission, or see how you can get involved. You can also subscribe to the Mission Youth newsletter or follow us on social media. Mission Youth exists to provide mission experiences worldwide that ignite the missionary spark in the hearts of Catholic disciples, transforming them into apostles. We are only able to do what we do thanks to the prayers and financial support of so many. Please consider partnering with us in the mission by offering a prayer or donation. Links can be found on our website. Mission Youth is a 501c3 organization, and all donations are tax-deductible. The mission team thanks you and prays for you daily. See you on the next mission.